All right, thank you for playing. So, I want to draw your attention uh, this afternoon in our uh, catechetical series to uh, question and answer Q&A 54 as this afternoon, and I'll be, um, the PowerPoint team will be putting that up there in just a moment. First, we're going to read from the scripture, however, we're going to be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 16. You know, for, for the last number of really months, we've been following the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean, we've been moving from his conception and his birth to his ministry to all the way leading up to his trial, his, uh, his, his, his uh, arrest, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his being seated at the right hand of God, and, and, and all of this. And then just last week, if you were here, you know, we looked at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, where we looked at the descent of the Spirit after uh, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Remember, he poured out that Spirit upon the church, and it's even the Spirit today that is actually building that church. And now we've come to that final point where, uh, as a follow-up from last week, we're going to be simply taking a look at what we call the church. The, the ecclesia is the word in the original language, which literally means called out ones. People have been called out of spiritual darkness and into the light of Christ and into the light of the gathered people of God. So we're going to be considering that together, the importance of the church and also the encouragement that goes out to us that the church, you and I are, are, are never perceived in the Bible as just a stagnant body but we're a growing body and a blessed body by the hand of Christ. And so much more could be said, but enough by way of introduction. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 16, and then I'm going to draw you, your attention to Q&A 54, and we're going, to, we're going to read that together. So first of all, I think a, a rather familiar passage to a lot of us, um, Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do, you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now if you could keep that scripture up on the overhead, please. I want to draw your attention to um, verse 19 and 20. I'm not going to read them again, but the reason why I'm not going to be focusing on those verses uh, this afternoon is because we'll be centering our attention on those verses a little bit later on in uh, our catechetical series. All right. So for now, I want to draw your attention to question answer uh, 54. The question is this, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church. And let's um, say the answer together. I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word in the unity of the true faith, 
a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. Now, when, when uh, you take a close look at the question and answer, it's a nature of a catechism or a confession of the church to kind of like the epistolary literature of the Bible to be kind of dense and say quite a bit in a very small space. And actually, when you break down what we confess in the question and the answer, there is a lot here. And I'll be drawing our attention a little bit later on in the sermon to it. Um, but for now, I, I, I simply want to say this as a general statement. When you, when you take a look at Q&A 54, there's a lot of good news there. Right? There's, no, there's no bad news there. And you say, well, yeah, okay, so what, what's your point? Well, the, the point is, is that when you actually take a look at the church, there's not always a lot of good, <laughs> there's not always a lot of good news, there's a lot of bad news. Uh, I was reminded that over the past couple of weeks, as uh, certain reports, I don't know if you're up on the news and stuff, but every once in a while in the news, particularly the, the secular news, they're stating that, that, there is an increasing decline of membership in the Christian church today, especially among what we would call more kind of liberal mainline churches, but even more conservatively bent churches are having a, a struggle these days uh, in North America and especially in Canada. And then they start getting into the various reasons why that might be, which is, well, uh, part of it they say is due to COVID, you know, and people kind of got used to staying away from uh, engagement personally in the church and then once uh, COVID started to wane and people start getting back together again they're like well you know and then and they just step aside and you don't see them again they just kind of got used to that not being part of the body of Christ um, some say that in in the reports that uh, also relating to COVID that as you know sometimes in the church churches struggled with that and people kind of took uh, political positions on that and so some didn't like the way that the local leadership was handling it or certain perspectives in the church people got ticked off and they said we're out of here and and so that was rather unfortunate and sometimes it's just a result of the increasing secularization of our nation and younger people getting caught in that sway especially and they're just kind of slip sliding out of the body of Christ so that so that these reports will sometimes say that, at least one said, that in about 20 or 30 years, Christianity will actually be a minority religion in Canada. Now, you know, could that be the case? Maybe, maybe not, but, but here's the thing. When you hear things like that and these reports keep coming out, you know, how are we supposed to square that with what, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, where he says... Uh, I will build my church, and really, I am building my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Or how do we square that with the language of our confession, where it says that Jesus, by his spirit and word, gathers, defends, preserves a church ultimately unto eternal life. So it just seems, these, these two things seem somewhat irreconcilable, so what do we do with that? Well... You know, it's probably no news to you, but we need to remember that. This is what the church is like throughout the ages, right? Throughout the centuries, it's like this. It's got high points, low points, times of intensity and growth, and times where it is struggling and losing membership. But, but what our catechism tells us, and what the Bible tells us above all, most importantly, is that, man, that's not the final verdict. It's not the final verdict. 
that when Jesus promises something, he fulfills it. And what we see in the end is, as the sermon title puts it, Ecclesia Triumphants, the Latin for the church triumphant. The church triumphant, right? We, we confess the church is militant right now, fighting sometimes for its life, but in the end it will be triumphant. And why do we say that? Because that's what our passage, the Bible tells us. So let's start getting into the passage. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is with his disciples and he comes to a very pivotal point in his ministry where he asks them a very simple question. Who do people say that I am? You've been out there in the world. You've been given the commission to preach the kingdom of God. And as a demonstration of the authority of the word, you're supposed to heal. And they were healing and people were being healed. And they were mingling. They're mingling with the people of society. And basically Jesus is saying here, you've been mingling with people in your ministry. Now, what are people, what are people saying about me? And the disciples respond by saying, well, uh, some say that you're John the Baptist. And you understand what they're saying there. They're saying, well, you're, some believe that you're John the Baptist, that, that, that you're not actually the Messiah, but you're actually the forerunner, the one who prepares the way for the Messiah, who's John the Baptist. So they're not getting it that you're the Messiah. Others say that you're Jeremiah or you're Elijah, Old Testament prophets that have come back from the dead. But no one is really understanding exactly who Jesus is. So then Jesus follows up that question with a question that's posed to his disciples. But who do you say that I am? And the you in, their, in the original language is second person plural. So he's not, he's not pointing to any one disciple, but he's saying as a group, who do you say that I am? And then there's someone who responds in the passage. And who is that? It's Peter. Peter, who is understood as a leader among the disciples. And when you look at the Gospels, and sometimes you will find lists of the disciples that are mentioned, Peter's there at the top. So he's recognized as a leader. And if you know anything about the personality of Peter, he's, he can be somewhat impulsive. So Jesus addresses that question, but who do you say that I am? To all the disciples, and Peter is the one who pipes up, and he says, in simple language, he's right on. He says, you are the Christ, Christos, meaning anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And we go, ding, 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 right? You're right, Peter. You're exactly, exactly right. And we have to, we have to understand something about the one who responds to Jesus, Peter, you know about Peter, right? Peter has these highs. Peter has these lows. Peter has great insights. But sometimes he can just offer some really dumb comments. And, and the, the reason why I bring that out, because even in Matthew chapter 16, you, you find this high of Peter, which, which is followed by this low of, of Peter. So uh, if, if you have a Bible, you have a device. For instance, take a look at verse 21. Because in, in verse 16, you have this high point of Simon Peter. It is his finest hour. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now look at verse 21 and following. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Rebuke who? (laughs) The very one who Peter said is the son of God. Imagine rebuking the son of God. But he's doing it. And he says, far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see the high, and then you see the low. And, and Peter doesn't understand the ultimate mission of Jesus to go to the cross. All he knows is that Jesus is going to meet some kind of demise. Oh, Lord, we don't want that to happen to you. He doesn't, he doesn't, as we would say today, he doesn't get it. But he gets it here in his confession of the Christ. And Jesus goes on to say, Jesus says, Simon, he said, this, this insight did not come naturally from within you. It's come from above. It's come from your heavenly father. It's come from him. All right. So Peter gives this confession of the Christ. Now, what I want us to, to, to consider right now is this, and this is the most important thing. So we set the stage for this comment. Jesus says to Peter, after Peter confesses him as the, as the Christ, Jesus says, and you are Peter, in the original language, Petros, rock. So I say that you are Peter, and upon this rock, Petra, so he's connecting Peter to this rock. I say you are Peter, and upon this rock, he goes on, I will build my church. Now let me ask you this, I'm not going to open up for discussion now, but probably would be an interesting discussion, but what what does Jesus mean when he refers to Peter as a rock? Upon this rock, I will build my church. It's It's an interesting question. And and it is one that has provided a lot of intensive argumentation and differences of opinion. And it is one passage that really Roman Catholics and Protestant Christians have, have really disagreed with because the Catholic position is, in short, that Peter is, is more than just a first among equals. There is authority that is invested in Peter at this point by Jesus himself. And really what Peter is, he's a first pope from which all successive popes come. And the Protestant Christians, especially those Christians of the Reformation, say, no, 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 no. It's, it's much simpler than that. When Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this, this rock I will build my church, he's calling attention to two things. He's, a, he's calling attention to, to Peter as a leader among the disciples, a first among equals. And he's, he's also drawing attention to the confession of Peter, which is Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. So what Jesus is doing here is saying, Peter, despite your inadequacies, And despite the times that you put your foot in your mouth, nonetheless, you are a rock among the disciples. And it's on you, but also your confession as me as the Messiah, that I am going to build my church. And the interesting thing is, is that when you move on from this passage to the book of Acts, and you know what the book of Acts is about, right? It's just a book about the rapid expansion of the church and the world. That as the Spirit is poured out on the church, and as the church is beginning to grow, 
as the Bible says, beginning in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth, as it is moving out in concentric circles, it is Jesus who is actually fulfilling this word to Peter, and he's using Peter, and he's using his confession to expand the church. So Peter has a very, very important position in the growth of the church. And the interesting thing is when you look at the the the, the last half of this long book of Acts, I think it's got 28 chapters, right? So as you look at it, the last half of the book of Acts revolves around a very significant apostle, and that's Paul. But when you look at the first half of the book of 1 Peter, the focus is not on Paul as much as it is Peter among all the disciples. And of all the disciples that are mentioned in the first half of the book of Acts, Peter's name is mentioned over 50 times. One commentator uh, puts it like this. If you put that up, uh, it's, uh, no, you're going, there you go, William Hendrickson. He's a well-known New Testament commentator, comes from our Reformed background. He said, during the very early period of the church, Acts 1 through 12, Peter was the most powerful and effective human link between Jesus and the church and the most influential means of the church's inward and outward growth. Did you know that? Significance of Peter and the significance of his confession. Which, again, I want to give us a little breather at this point. It's not the main part of the sermon. But, you know, um, when you think about it, Peter is a person in the Bible, I think, that really kind of gives all of us a little hope. Because <clears throat> when, you, when, you look, when you look at Peter's life, you, you see that he's a lot like all of us, right? We have some highs, we have some lows in our points. We have, we have times where there is great growth and there's great understanding and then there are times where we simply don't get it. We just don't get it. And the <laughs> There is a shorter route, okay? <laughs> hey, wasn't I just talking about highs and lows? Okay, that's all of us. We were all kids, right? And so, you know, we, we have these highs in our lows, but, but he does, he, Peter gives us hope because, because, you know, sometimes when we're younger, we think, you know, how is the Lord really using me? Or, you know, I'm not the best kid in the class, or maybe I'm the odd one out. Or, I, you know, you look at your life in your 20s, your 30s, you're wondering, how, how is the Lord ever going to use me? And, and, and all of that. And then you look, you look at Peter and you go, here is a man who has a great confession of Christ, but then he puts a stumbling block in the way of Christ. Christ calls him a Satan, an adversary at that point, right? And then, and then it's Peter who denies Jesus three times, but Jesus does not count him out, say, you're done with. No, he restores Peter, and then he uses him as a leader among the disciples in the first part of the book of Acts, and he even writes the books of First and Second Peter, which we're going through in our morning service, and he takes somebody so low, and he makes him a person of great significance in the church and the kingdom of God. Lord's not done with you yet. Lord's not done with any one of us yet. And the Lord's not done with this church yet. He's continuing to take us sometimes at our lowest moments and he promises to continue building. He does that in Peter, but he also does that in his church. Now in regard to that, just one more thing getting back to this passage. Listen closely to the words. Jesus says, I say that you are Peter and on this rock, your person and your confession, I'm going to build my church. And he says, and this will get back to the, to the 
the Q&A 52. He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, in other words, we could say in today's language, Jesus saying, you know what? You hear those surveys that are out there and those reports about the demise of the church? And there's a lot of people who are simply counting the church out. People down in the mouth about the church, all the problems in the church. He said, regardless of all of that, you do not live by sight, but you live by faith. And I'm going to take that church as a weak instrument, and I tell you what, I am going to build that church. And here's the thing, the gates of hell will not prevail against that church. And a lot of time throughout history, people have this idea that as the church is advancing in the world, you got the gates of hell that is the forces of evil. And as the church is advancing and the forces of evil attack, you know, the church, the church struggles for a time, but then it, it continues advancing in the world and will come to the final victory. I want us to think about something else here if you deal closely with the language. Think about this. A gate or gates... Gates are not offensive weapons. They're defensive structures. I want you to think about it like this. That Jesus promised that the church, through his spirit and word, is going to advance in this world. And the church is advancing bit by bit. Sometimes it faces some strong opposition. But it's continuing to slowly advance in this world. And then these gates, as defensive structures, are trying to hold back the advance of that church. But Christ, as the king and the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the head of the church is working through his word and spirit to continue to advance that church and gradually more and more those gates cannot hold back that advancement and it moves on ultimately to victory. That's the power of the church of Jesus Christ and that's the promise of Christ himself and you think about it, that, that is a beautiful thing. And, and when you look at it that way, and when you look at Matthew 16, we dealt with that now, then what we see in Q&A 52 makes all the sense in the world. If you put Q&A 52 up there, I want you to take a look at it. Let's pick this apart. I'll be quick with this, and then I want to draw to a close. Um, and we're not going to have a discussion period afterwards, just this week, because it's, kind of it's kind of a full Sunday. So look at the question. <clears throat> what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian church? That question contains theologically what we call the attributes of the church. And the church has a number of attributes. First of all, it's holy. What does it mean? It means that it is set apart from the Lord. So the church word in the original language, ecclesia, means called out once. Those who are called out of spiritual darkness and brought into the light of Christ. That makes us different. We're set apart from the world. So we're holy. We are Catholic, right? We understand that does not mean Roman Catholic. The Catholicity of the church has to do with the overall people of God who are committed to the church of Jesus Christ who are scattered around the world and who are scattered throughout time. We confess a holy Catholic, the church is Christian, it is rooted in Christ, and it is the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. So, what do we believe about this church? And the answer is this, and I want you to notice the kind of the who, what, where, why, when, and how of this. So, um, sometimes if you're in school and you play journalists and the teacher's teaching you the basics of journalism, they say if you want to cover all the basis of a story, you've got to do the who, what, where, why, when, and how. Okay? Take a look at what we're confessing. First of all, the who. Who's the one who builds the church? 
I believe that the Son of God does this. Why does it say that? It's based on Matthew 16. Jesus says, I, I will build my church. And it was Peter who just said, you know what? You are the Son of God. So Jesus is the one who builds his church. Well, where does he build it from? Out of the whole human race. So the, um, it, it's not just one ethnic group or racial group. But the church is truly, it's not a national entity, it's an international entity, which is very interesting. So people from all around the world of different tongues and tribes and nations are attaching themselves to the church of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. And it's something that, um, I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to encourage you to, to pray for this, that we become more and more of an international body. Just not so we can be in vogue and be kind of the cool church. This is, we, want, we want Pathway to increasingly become a reflection of the church triumphant in heaven, a people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. Read that from Revelation chapter 7. Okay, when does Christ build his church? From the beginning of the world to the very end of the world. I mean, Christ has been gathering his church since the Garden of Eden, and he will continue to gather it and build it until the end of time. And notice what he does. He gathers it, he also defends it, and he preserves it for himself, so it will not go into extinction. How does he gather it? How? Now, he does it through his spirit and the word, in the unity of true faith, and it's a church that is chosen, not for the here and now, ultimately, but for eternal life. Now notice, and I believe that I am and forever will remain a living member of it. Now that's where this catechism gets very personal. So we confess a lot of wonderful things about the church to which we belong, but then we're making a personal confession. I believe that I am and forever will remain. Notice what it says. It just doesn't say a member of it. A living member. What does a living member mean? It means not a dead member. It means not just a pew sitter. Or not someone who just simply shows up to worship every once in a while when they feel like it. Or someone who's just not sitting down and experiences worship is not really involved in the life and the ministry and the pulse of the church. A living member is what? Is what we saw this morning in, our after, uh, in what John Zietzma brought out as, as one of the number one purposes of the church. And that is what? To be all in. A living member is all in. And we need each other all to be all in for the blessing of this body, right? So that, all of that, all of what I just said is all contained in this Q&A. So I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this. Um, this is good news. We need this good news because <laughs> when you and I, when you and I look at the church sometimes, it's really easy to get depressed. And let me give you a little insight that, that it's easy to kind of get down, especially when you're in the leadership of the church, because you, be, you get to see things, not just in your own church, but in the church of Jesus Christ, and you kind of analyze it at a deeper level than most, because you're in the leadership of the body, and because you're, you're pressing in on the details, sometimes it's like, oh, man. Okay, and sometimes you, you get down with it, you see sometimes deadness, you see divisions, you see sometimes a lack of momentum, sometimes you see doctrinal deviation, sometimes you see compromise, sometimes you see irrelevance, 
Sometimes you see a certain level of inertia or a lack of energy. Sometimes you hear reports of church splits or pastoral infidelity or younger people who are walking away from the faith. And if this isn't enough, the cultural darkness of our nation is continuing to grow. And as we're trying to bear witness as best we can in this world, we're constantly called those who are intolerant, right? And we're called as those who are narrow and all of this kind of business. Well, now that you're thoroughly depressed. But we can't. We can't. Because if there's anything that we see in Q&A 54 and in Matthew 16 and other places of the scripture, again, we cannot live simply by sight or by ear what we hear, but the promises of Jesus. Who said? He said, listen closely. I will build it. And I am building it by my spirit and word out of every people of tribe, nation, and tongue. And it is, it is advancing in this world. And though things may look dark at the moment, that's not the final verdict. We're moving on. We're moving on as a church militant to the church triumphant in the ultimate victory. And brothers and sisters, we got to believe that. we got to believe that. So we keep our heads about us, right? I want to leave you just with this final matter. Go to the... This comes from our other uh, confessional standard, Belgian Confession, Article 27. It says this, the Christian church is preserved by God, this is a great phrase, against the rage of the entire world. At times it may look very small and extinct in the eyes of man. Thus, during the perilous reign of King Ahab, the Lord kept for himself 7,000 persons who did not bow their knees to Baal. Remember Ahab? Remember wicked queen Jezebel? What a piece of work she was. And she went after the church and she sought to destroy the prophets of God. And yet, we read in the Bible as evidence in this confession. The church was so small at some point, there were just 7,000. 7,000 that would not bow the knee to Baal. But God never allows his church to go extinct. It may go really small, but always from that remnant, he builds and he builds and he builds. And we look forward to that time where we're going to be in glory. And there's going to be so many, we can't even count them all. And we're going to be sharing the stage, if you will, with people of a tribe and nation and tongue. Praise God for that. That is the gospel. That's the good news. With that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your promises. There are sometimes promises, Lord, that seem too good to be true. Especially when we look at ourselves or we look at the world around us. But Lord, we do. We do live by faith and not by sight. And we know, oh Lord, there are good days and there are bad days. But we know in the end, no matter how small and how difficult we may struggle, and when we think of the church in Afghanistan and North Korea and other places of the world that are being persecuted, we take great hope in the fact that according to your promise, through your spirit and word, you will build the church. You are building it. And you will build it into this beautiful, beautiful fullness of a community of people, every tribe, nation, and tongue, singing your praises and glorifying you throughout eternity. We look forward to that day, Lord, when we may join them. Until then, help us to keep fighting the good fight of faith below, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, we are going to sing in response. Uh,